Sahib Jamal, I'm Karib Abdullah, Arshallah. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Diversity Podcast, where we explore identity and diversity through experiences of different people. I'm your host, Violetta. My guest today is Tamana, who is Bengali-British woman, and we will be talking about identity and her bringing today. Hi, Tamana. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> Hi, Violetta. How are you doing? Are you okay? How's, yeah, I'm how's great. Is it real? How are you? How how am I doing? Because you know sometimes British people they ask how are you and they don't care how are you. Oh no, I'm very neurodivergent. <laughs> Tell me how you're doing. Okay, I'm actually doing great. Yeah, you? Uh, you know, okay. Life, yeah. You know, life is always lifing. Life is a roller coaster. It is. Isn't Just it? gotta ride it. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, I want to say that your name is very beautiful, and I sort of googled it. And it means desire and wish in Hindi. Yeah, is mean, that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It means like wish or like yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so even though I know you for a very short period of time, I think the name really suits you as well. So because when I, I, when I just met you and the energy I received from you, I think you like how I see it. You live your dreams regardless like any challenges you can you you, you meet in your life, and uh, I deeply admire that. So I just wanted to say that. Um, yeah. That's really sweet. I really appreciate that. I feel like I yeah, I'm a dream chaser. Love yeah. dream. Yeah. Start with let's talk about your background. Where your parents were born and where you were born and raised yourself. Um so both my parents are from Bangladesh. Um yeah, my mum I think she came over when she was in year seven, so I think that's maybe when she's twelve or something. I think that's about the age. Um, my dad came over later on, so maybe when he was how old? I don't know, maybe like in his early 20s. Um, but uh, yeah, so my mum grew up in Manchester, and then when they got married, they moved to Stoke on Trent, so that's where I was born, where I was raised, where I turned into a young woman. Oh, that's beautiful. I actually lived in Stoke. I think I told you that. You lived yeah. in Stoke? I lived in Stoke for a year oh. for work. Yeah. That's Where, a, wait, whereabouts? That's experience. Hanley. <gasps> no way, you lived there In too? the centre? City girl, yeah. That's No, I didn't live in Hanley. I lived in Burslem. Oh, I don't even know where it is. I only know Hanley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it was pop yeah. where I live, so yeah. like it was quite a memorable experience. <laughs> that's yeah. so funny. Sleepless nights, uh, provided by uh, British culture. Uh, Yeah, I wish it meant something better than it did. So, that's so deep. It meant something better than it did. Anyway, tell me, what's your favorite dinner? Okay. Do you like rice? Okay, great. Okay, I'm trying to focus. I'm so sorry, God. Um, yeah, okay, that's nice. So, do you feel... Uh, when did you move out from Stock and Trent? Yeah, so after college, um, uh, my mum basically told me I wasn't allowed to leave Stoke. Her reasoning was, like, a bit chaotic, but ultimately it's because I'm an unmarried woman, but also she was like, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to do this when I'm old? And it's like, it's not that far. I can come back, but... Okay, so, um, I did three years of college, right, and after my second year, we sort of had to pick what we were going to do. I wasn't going to go to uni initially because I didn't see, because, um, statistically, systematically, like, I'm just not made to be successful in the art industry. I'm not, I'm not only am I a woman, I'm a brown woman, and I was a Muslim woman at the time, so it was like, all these things were like, you're not going to make it in this industry, so I was like, and plus I've got, you know, my mum and dad being like, no, <laughs> basically. So I ended up doing another year of college to try and just figure out what I was going to do. And then after that, I was like, yeah, you know what, university. But yeah, my mum, this story is a mess. My mum said, um that I'm not allowed to leave Stoke. Um, so I did a year at Staffordshire University um, and I did photography there, but it was such a, it was just like a nothing year. Like I always forget that year happened, it was 2015. And it, it was like, I was stuck in my hometown. I was still living at home. It didn't feel like I was at uni, it just felt like I was at a different college. 
it was very like even the building I'm not trying to like you know hurt nobody's feelings who goes there I'm sure it's great for lots of people but for me I just didn't enjoy it and it was it felt like I was in a science building it felt like because it was all just corridors and grey walls and it was like this is supposed to be an art course like how am I supposed to be inspired here I get it and the college I went to before that, I did like a rolling program, um, and it was an it was a art and design, it was a foundation diploma in art and design. So it's like you can do all these different things, and so I was constantly stimulated by all these things going on, and then just being in a grey building. So it was like, yeah, how I just, I, it didn't feel the right, yeah, yeah, it felt there. so wrong because it was like I'd gone from being overstimulated, and they really overprepared us because. And everyone I know that went there, like, they're all doing big, crazy jobs now because Mm -hmm. it's like we were so over-prepared for the real world. And then we got into the real world and they were, like, teaching us things right from the beginning. And I was like, wait, I already know all this. (laughs) What am I doing here? Yeah. Um, So it just, yeah, it felt sort of wasteful. It felt very uncreative. So um, I decided by the end of the year that I was going to apply for MMU. And by this point, I was like, all right, ask forgiveness, not permission, because I, you know, I'd already done things the way that my parents had sort of told me to do it, and it wasn't getting me anywhere, and I was becoming really sad, and I said, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to do an interview, and I remember sort of my mum being like, okay, fine, you can go, but you can't, um, you can go, but you're not going to go to that university, you can go to the interview, but you're not going to go to the university if you get in, kind of thing. That's interesting, so... Yeah, because, like, from knowing you, again, for a very yeah. short period of time, I feel like you have... When I just met you, I felt you have quite a rebellious spirit. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, yeah. <laughs> so, and... Uh, but you were raised in rather traditional family, I think, from, like, what I got from you. How yeah. uh, how did you... How did you, like, break through that? I know it's a big question, but yeah. shortly, like... Shortly with your, uh, with your journey moving out from your family. Because, yeah. as I understand, like, a lot of people might stay, right? Within the community. Yeah, it's especially a, females. It's a, it's a long... This is the thing that's, that I find difficult to sort of explain to people because I think people always want to hear things as if it's, like, a like in a movie or in a TV show. But it's and, not, yeah. And they want it to be wrapped up into one episode and it's like, no, I'm 28 years old, I've lived a long life and it's been... A tumultuous journey. It's been a roller coaster, ups and downs, and all this chaotic stuff. So there was never like one specific moment where it's like, you know what? I don't believe in God. I'm done. It was never that. It was always like, there was a lot of questioning throughout my teens. And I'm someone who like, I don't, I don't follow anything blindly. I always want to know things. So yeah, I was always, you question things. A lot, I, you right? know, and I, I was questioning so many things. And like growing up, like that would mean I was googling lots of religious texts and googling things to like back up how I feel but there were certain things that I couldn't get over or couldn't make sense of and I was like well this doesn't make sense I don't like one in particular this is like me making everything small but like this is just an example but like one obviously a big thing was like um homophobia and like mm-hmm. it being a sin to be gay of course. and I remember at that point you know some of my best friends were very gay and and I just sort of would think how I don't understand a God that would put this person in hell. This person is so kind, so loving, so open. How could a God hate this person? But like this person, that's is okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why is this person okay? Yeah. This? So that kind of stuff didn't make sense to me. And I and I, trust me, I did so much research and read so many things and like yeah, it just I, I couldn't I couldn't piece them together for it to make sense, but. It was, I don't know, because, like, I never, again, I never was like, that's it, I'm done. It was like... It was a journey, right? It was a journey, but also, it is a journey, but um, also, like, within community, it's weird because, and again, I never want to speak against people because, again, I was a part of that community for a very long time. So I hate sort of the idea that people are going to come back and be like, you're making us look bad. You're making... I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you're doing this to yourself. Truly. Like, how about we take care of each other and then we don't have to worry about how people see us kind of thing. But, yeah, there's a lot of, like, what people call haram police, which just means, like, people looking and sort of being overly, like, 
holier than thou, I know best, you know, judgmental. When it comes down to it, it's judgmental. And it was always against brown women and brown girls. So, like, in the time that I'm trying to figure things out and I'm on a journey, in a place where really I could have become more religious and I could have gone, you know what, my community is kind despite this, fuck it. But instead, I was, you know, you... You can see any brown girl on the internet, if you look at her comments, without a doubt, I can guarantee, or in her DMs, she's got some brown man telling her that she's going to hell, essentially, or she's haram, or Why? she's... Because it's entitlement. People are entitled to women, and people, for some reason, feel entitled over brown women in that community. Okay. And there's a lot of, like... This is what I... Yeah, I struggle with so people... would haram you. They would just say haram, haram, haram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They just tell. They always want to tell you what you're doing wrong and what what you're doing to not be a better. And it's like, for example, things like I've seen lots of like girls change how they're wearing their hijab, for instance. Maybe they have a little bit of fringe popping out. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not written in text how you're supposed to wear it or whatever. But why is some brown guy that? doesn't even really practice his own religion properly. Why is he feeling so entitled to tell this girl how to wear her hijab? And it's like, at least she's covering. Yeah. At least she's trying. This is her journey. She's figuring it out. But then you get comments like, well, if you're not going to wear it right, don't wear it at all. And you hear a lot of that. And it's like... I didn't even know that. It's so bad. And it's like, in this time where I was trying to question and trying to figure out what I believe and, like, give myself reason to believe... I get questions like I get instead I, I get comments like that where it's like if you're not gonna wear it properly if you're not gonna if you and it's like to the point where people are telling people to just may as well be naked and it's like okay fuck it I will like double dare me twice but um <laughs> okay yeah I get uh, it but you know what I mean it's like yeah I understand definitely but yeah there was a lot of that another reason I think was how do I articulate this if you're raised only with guilt and shame and you always feel guilty and you always feel shame. And then, how do I, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. It's okay, take your time. Um, hmm, how do I say this? Um, I agree about guilt and shame. It actually applies not only for Muslim girls, it generally yeah. applies for the whole womanhood of the world. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, guilt and shame is for all women, for sure. Um, <laughs> I definitely, I feel like, you know, there are definitely cultures where it's a lot worse and a yeah, lot more. Yeah, more explicit, right? Like, this is why, like, I grew up with really intense, um, like, anxieties and stuff. Essentially, like, imagine you are worried constantly that there are two angels watching you non-stop writing down every good and bad thing that you're doing. Wow. And you're very hyper aware of it. I was very hyper aware. I could always like... Uh, seriously? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and like, I'm constantly feeling... I would feel guilty about little things. Like, say you even just... This is why now I'm just like, I'm non-judgmental. Or, but it's because of trauma. It's not because yeah. I'm super nice. I don't lie right now. I don't lie. I know. You, I, you are nice, but like, from what I got from yeah. you when we first time talked... Because, you know, you don't talk deeper level with all people. Yeah. But when we talked about upbringing, I sort of felt like... This is where you get in your sort of revenge, you know, like yeah. you, you free yourself and yeah. that like that actually is a lot, you know, like and you should give yourself enough credit for that. Yeah. But like about these angels that sounds a bit there's like crazy. No, 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 no. I mean like in the, in the, in the way that um, I can yeah. imagine because I used to I think struggle with anxiety myself. Yeah. And I know like it can just eat you, you know, like yeah. a lot. And like but if you have also people this saying is- this to you because I I sort of felt like myself as self-loathing, yeah. but I know like if there's also someone say that to you, it's like it's like triple double yeah. pressure, you know. There's like yeah, exactly. There's like um, it's like a well, obviously it's religious trauma as well as cultural trauma as well as like narcissistic trauma because of my family. There was lots of layers to why my brain doesn't work the way it's supposed to. <laughs> what but, does um, it mean the way it's supposed? Neurotypical. I'm not. Yeah. Oh okay. Um, but um, yeah. So like. It, Raised with constant guilt and shame, I'm always like, God's always watching, he's always watching you, so it's like, even like, if I, I couldn't even tell little white lies, because they would eat me up completely, but then there was also like, I had to lie for survival, Mm -hmm. so like, 
and this is where like I have a personality disorder now and I think a lot of it stemmed from being a kid and sort of like I had a personality at home to survive and then I had a personality at school to survive both were for survival but like I've sort of become an adult now and I'm only just figuring out who yeah. is it that I am exactly. like what things do I like what things do I want to do where is a personality for myself right yeah exactly but you know this is yeah it's a it's a it's a big long thing where of just like everything was for survival I don't even remember what the initial question was, but I'm talking about survival. Yeah, <laughs> I just about family. Yeah. With. To be fair, like we sort of answered to my second question because I was going yeah. to ask how being woman influenced your bringing, but we partly, uh, we partly answered to that, but I just yeah. wanted to know, like, uh, maybe it's a silly question, but because uh, growing up I didn't have a lot of Muslim friends, I'm going to yeah. ask it still. Before, and um, were boys in the community raised, raised differently? And uh, why they were raised differently, if they yeah. were? Yeah, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of forgiveness for boys. There's a lot of grace for boys. Is it just because it is, or it's connected to like there's, religion? I it's and not culture. connected to religion. It's more connected to culture. Culture. Because if we're looking at text, this is the thing that used to boggle my mind. Because I'm always, I was always being told one thing, but everyone was doing another. So like in religious text, women are supposed to be revered more. We're supposed to have more respect because we're doing all this. We're taking, valued more, yeah. We're valued, supposed, we're supposed to be valued more, we're supposed to have all... Theory, yeah. Like, in, theory. like yeah, exactly, in the Quran, we're, you know, we're given all of these rights, we're given all of these things that we can do, and, like, even down to, like, we're supposed to be able to choose our husbands, we're supposed to be able to, like, our money is our money, but his money is both of our money. That's do you know nice. what I mean? All these things like this, like, if we want to work, it's because we want to, not because we have to. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? All these rights and things, and the reason it's like that is because we bear children mm-hmm. so it's like if you want to work only if you want to you don't have to do you know what I mean that's yeah. how it is in text but because men are the way men are yeah and you know they love the patriarchy those those systems have been twisted into being no women must stay at home take care of the children do nothing else they have no money they, you know they do you know what I mean they don't give their women half their money instead they're giving them like just a bit of change to go and get the groceries in do you know what I mean it's yeah. like it's all twisting and so there's a lot of that where it's like so it's like the real life and how it's supposed to be yeah. according to text according and like, to text but that's the thing because it's be weird because you'll hear you'll hear these speakers talk about it and they're like you're so respected in Islam and I'm like then where's the practice because I hear people saying it then why am I being treated like nothing mm-hmm. why am I being told I am nothing if this is the case Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I feel like there's a lot of work there in that regard. Mm-hmm. Who would who would say these things like? Just oh, like religious people. teachers, you know, or you know, community leaders, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Parents. So you used to like participate in the community life. Oh, so like the community was like a big part of. It still is a big part of all of these people's. It's not for me because I, you know, I've been pushed out of the community. Were you? I'm, like, I, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, uh, I understand that, but, yeah. like, like oh, I can't find the world. You were pushed out yeah, very, so, very, like, <clears throat> yeah. like, sharply and roughly. It was, um, this is the thing, I feel like in other communities, when it, if a person's, like, disowned or whatever, or pushed out of the family, then that's sort of it, and they're like, oh, it's still horrible, it's evil and whatever, and it's like, okay, I'm never going to talk to my dad again. But in my community, when you're pushed out of a family, you're also pushed out of community. And it's a lot of like, um, yeah, because it's like everything's connected. So it's like, you know, even down, I don't know how to explain it. It's like everything's connected. So everybody mm-hmm. knows each other. Ah, so everyone knows your name. Everybody you know knows where your you name. Live and you know, like they were too. like, even like when I was living with my grandma who lives in Manchester, um, even when. Like, I would be walking down the street. I was very aware that loads of people knew who I was, even though I didn't know who any of them oh, really? were. Yeah, all the oh, time. Wow. So there were people always constantly coming back and talking about, like, things that I've done. And, like, it's like, I, I didn't even do anything. It would just be like, I'm wearing a skirt. So if you think of, like, physically, real-life people constantly watching you and you don't even know who these people are, but they're like, oh, that's so-and-so's daughter. They don't even care to know your name, but you're so-and-so's daughter. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'll say it like that. So I'm constantly being perceived by these people. 
And then I've got like God constantly watching me. I'm being constantly perceived by him. And then these angels. And then, you know, I go to school and I was getting bullied, let's be frank, because I went to a very white school. Mm-hmm. And white kids are evil, let's be honest. Okay. <laughs> um, so it was like, yeah, I was like, there was no... Kids are evil in general. They can kids be... are evil in general. Kid, but kids like... can be like... Consciously, unconsciously, yeah. very, very. It was very. It was very. It was just a rough little upbringing because it was like, yeah, it was just very lonely. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I had a question. Uh, it's partly answered again, but I'm Definitely. still uh, gonna go for it. So, would you say that in your life? Mm-hmm. I know it's journey, and I myself, I haven't figured out stuff yet. But in finding yourself and claiming your own identity mm. and understanding yourself better, do you think being coming from your background culturally, religiously, being a Bengali woman is helped has helped you or on the opposite? Like do you ever find some I'm not saying like good or bad, mm. but I'm just thinking um other question is whether it's contributing into your like journey of finding who you are, your identity, understanding yourself. Yeah, it's um that's a tricky one. It's a it's funny because like, again when I'm when you're pushed out of community, I know I'll keep rubbing back to it, but it's all connected. No, it's okay. It's um, there's a lot of, like, people sort of calling you a coconut, which is, like, you're white on the inside, and, like, all these kinds of comments where it's, like, you want to be white, and it's, like, I don't want to be white, I just want to be treated Myself, nicely. Yeah. I just want to be respected. Um, so there's a lot of, like, identity, mashugana, <laughs> maybe they're, maybe there's just a lot of identity crisis stuff mm-hmm. and it's like I because again personality disorder again constantly my personalities were just for survival so I don't know who I am um so when I was sort of pushed out and again it's like when you're in that scenario it's like okay so you're not going to the community events anymore you're not going to the Hanley Mela you know what I mean you're not going to these events where all these people are because you know everyone's talking about you you know, your family aren't going to be... You're not going to be standing with your family, you're going to be standing with... Do you know what I mean? So it's like... I'm no, So I no longer was able to go to those kinds of events. So in that time, it's like, okay, I'm not talking to anyone that speaks Bengali. I'm not going to speak Bengali to anyone besides my cats. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, like, all of a sudden, I'm only speaking English. And for a while, it was like... I didn't want to feel... It was hard because it was like, I don't want to feel like I don't have right to my own culture. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm being treated like I don't have right to my own culture. Exactly. Um, but in saying that, I feel like in the last couple years, I've done a lot of reclaiming and like re-ownership and sort of... And it was hard for me when I was younger because I think about community and I think about... And I'm like, oh, I've lost 60% of my social life and my world not just social life, but world, um, because I was pushed out and I lost my culture, I lost my community. But now it's like, I can never be like, everyone in this community feels like this because I know that I didn't feel like that and I was like, I was an open person. So there are people like me that are still in the community. And I also think there are people like me that have been pushed out of community or have left out, left community. So I've made a point of like, Whenever I meet someone who's, like, queer and brown or maybe they're just, like, the black sheep of their family yeah. or, you know, like, it's, it happens... Ha- I don't meet a lot of people in the industry a lot and I think it's because, again, we're very discouraged in fashion and music. So whenever I meet um, a brown person, um, spe- specifically South Asian, but, like, often others as well, um, that are queer and been pushed out, blah, 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 in fashion and in music, I'm like, okay, I'm your cousin. We're cousins now. We're family. We're family. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, from the outside, I've had people sort of laugh and be like, oh, that's weird. I'm like, no, I'm being serious. I invite them around for every Christmas or whatever, or Eid or whatnot, because it's like that they are the only people that understand mm-hmm. where it's like it's not just oh, my mum doesn't like me. It's this whole... I can't... I'm disconnected from my culture. Yeah. So I think it's good to sometimes sort of invite people around and, you know, eat samosas and sort of watch a Bollywood movie or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Of like, course, yeah. Like, really sure. simple, small things where it's like, these are the it kind of... It is your culture. Like, it doesn't matter what the community yeah, says to you. Like exactly. You can, you, it's can, like, you can own it and yourself, right? Exactly. I, there's, like, a reclaim... And it's like that's my community people want to be like you've got no community I'm like no I have a community they're a bit spread out 
we're not all in one space, but you know, we're all very gay <laughs> and we're all very South Asian and we're all artists. Do you know what I mean? And that's my community. They're all open hearted, they're all very nice people, and none of them are judgmental. That's my community. So yeah, I feel like I lost culture for a while, I lost heritage for a while because I wasn't I was sort of discouraged from it and told I didn't deserve it, blah blah blah. But now it's like I'm having fun. I can do whatever I want. I can, and you know, sort of being older now means like, like, I can sort of spend time like relearning like recipes and like, you know, things that like I enjoyed when I was younger. And I do talk to my cats in Bengali all the time because in my head I'm like, they know I'm speaking. Yeah. I'm like, if they could speak, they'd be speaking Bengali too. Definitely. I've got to teach my children, my cat children, (laughs) how to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so if the last question is a bit too hard, just let me know, okay. but it just sort of came up because I didn't know that about you, the community. I knew that there is a separation, but I didn't know yeah. that on that level. So what are the reasons could be so a person get pushed pushed away like from the community, exiled almost? What are the reasons? Um, I don't talk about your case specifically, just yeah. generally. But if you want, you can like mention. There are lots of there are lots of reasons. Is it particularly also applies to women and men separately, like different, like different requirements? You know, when it's when a man's pushed out of community, it's usually because he is gay, or mm. it's because he's because it, yeah, it's usually only because he's gay or. Um, maybe they're going through a transition or something. It's so usually, connected to gender, yeah? It's usually connected to sexuality and gender with um, men. But with women, it could be anything. It could be anything because... Even, like, can you date as a nationality? No. This is the thing. I feel, again, men and boys have so much grace and forgiveness and, like, allowances where it's like, don't do this, but then they do it and they're like, ooh, Hassan, I'll forgive you anyway. Do you know what I mean? And then, yeah, there's a lot of forgiveness for them. Don't get me wrong, they've got their own battles and their own yeah, of course. things to deal with. Um, you know, but with women, it could be anything. It, you sort of, I think a good way of sort of thinking about it is, like, if you think about, like, the 50s and you think, all right, what did it take for a woman to get a lobotomy? <laughs> it's the same thing where it's like, she's, she's spoken out of turn. She's bad, she's evil. Let's send her off to get married to some guy in, I don't know, Bangladesh, Pakistan, whatever. Um, there's just a lot of punishment for women. And that's why you meet a lot of girls that are they're sort of quiet and subdued because they know if they speak out of turn, they're, they're going to get reprimanded for it. Um, that's not to say, like, every family's different. Yeah, it depends, I mean? depends, like, how... Yeah, for sure, it depends on... Some people, I guess, like, they're more religious than the others, right? Yeah, but they still like, stay with the I think community. it's important to sort of say that there's lots and lots and lots of families where they are supportive and kind, and, and maybe they don't understand, and maybe it's, you know, but they're, ne- they're never going to hurt their kids, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's not true for all families, and they're, you know... They're different of, examples. We think of things of, like, honour killings and, you know, that kind of stuff where... Does it still exist, even in the UK? Um, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. I, you know, I sort of, you know, I, I know sort of examples of, not, not honour killings, but I know examples of people sending their daughters back home. Oh, really? To, like, sort them out. By to, like, means. to Bangladesh, for example. Yeah, for example, um, yeah, there's lots of that. Um, like, for the punishment? Sometimes for punishment, sometimes it's like, we're going to send you back, back home to sort you out, and the sorting out is just, like... Getting married. Getting married or like to like a like arranged marriage thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it, when it's like that. It doesn't. It's not really arranged. It's more. It's a forced one because it's like you like they imagine. This is example and hypothetical, but you know I've seen examples. But it's like um, say they've caught you with a boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. They found out someone saw you out at the cinema with a boy, um, and then they lose their shit, send you back home. When you come back, you're married with a kid. Do you know what I mean? These kinds of stories are not, like, make-believe they happen okay. all the time. Yeah, I didn't know about this sort of... I mean, yeah. I only knew from, you know, from reading online stories and yeah. things like that, but obviously when you meet someone and you talk it's a bit <laughs> differently, you yeah. know, oh, this, this person gets sent out. Okay, so uh, I wanted to talk about, as well, sex education. I don't know how much yeah. relevant it is, because uh, the way I grew up, 
Mm-hmm. I don't think I had. Obviously, my background is very different from yours. Yeah. And uh, I can't even properly call myself very religious, I guess. But I did grow up in like Buddhist family. Mm-hmm. So like sex education, I didn't have that. Like yeah. neither in school, neither at university, and my like sex life started yeah. quite late as well. And uh, I just wonder. I like I sort of had to educate myself on that. Uh, and I wonder how does it work because. Obviously, it's a very traditional community, and the way you grew up, and how does it work in in from like from your bringing? How do like people get educated at all? Because you want it or you don't want it. Like your children gonna have sex at some point in their life, you know. Like whether it's like twenty or eighteen or like sixteen, and I personally think that children should be educated on that. And I don't know why I didn't have that in my school or even at my uni, you know. Like even when I was like eighteen or twenty, like. I don't know. It was it, everything came late, but yeah. So my question is, how people? I sort of answer can answer my question myself, like for <laughs> practice. <laughs> but like, I just think it's such a big part of our lives, you know. But we don't learn that things, these things. Yeah, most of people have sex. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I think even religious people. I think, um, yeah. So I um, obviously raised here, well, based in Stoke. So like my sex, sex education system was the British sex education system. So I, you have it in school, right? I had it in school. Oh, okay. And to be fair, like they do send home like a permission slip and your mum has to say yes. Oh, no. really? I think actually my mum said no to it. So Did she say no? She said no. This was in primary school. Your first initial sex education is in primary school. So there were parts, there's, So, like, we did sex education, so I learned about periods and that kind of thing. But then I think there was a part where it was, like, they wanted to talk about sex specifically, and that was the part that my mum signed no to, so I was just put in a different class for a bit, so I don't really know what they were talking about. In fact, I do know, because kids talk, and we were in the playground, and they were like, we saw a willy, and it went up! (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. Don't say that to me. Oh, my God, don't say that to me. Um, But, yeah, that was sort of funny. Um, but to be fair, like, uh, for my specific life, my specific upbringing, my mum, my mum did have a chat with me about, like, um, puberty and, like, bodies changing and what that means. I think she sort of, she definitely spoke about things, but in a very brief way, or she may have given me a couple leaflets here and there. Mm. Um, so I'm thankful for her. Um, so she did, she did mention that. Yeah. She did mention it. I think because obviously her mum didn't tell her that stuff. Yeah, and so she I think had she, to learn. Yeah. yeah, so she just wanted me to be prepared in that way. So I, you know, I, I love my mum for that. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I know I know very clear examples of people who I'm not going to name um, where they obviously grew up in Bangladesh and they had no knowledge, they had no teaching of sex or how that works or what happens or why it happens or I remember this person being pregnant and sort of asking like how how does it work like how does this put how does it being come? pregnant yeah whilst she was pregnant so it's oh, like wow. she has had no education whatsoever on this so I think yeah I think it's I don't know I think it depends on where you are in the world and what okay but I do definitely think it's important to teach because it's like eventually that put yeah and it's like saying abstain saying abstain all the time yeah that's great okay no one's having sex of course they are first of all they're gonna do it regardless Mm -hmm. but two it's like okay are you gonna tell her when she's pregnant when she's married and pregnant no so where are they gonna learn these things so I think it's like um it's like a worldwide problem for sure. There's like, yeah. but but you yeah. do learn it at school, regardless of your yeah. religion and yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. Th- thankfully, I mean, like, like here. Yeah, thankfully in the okay. UK, like we, there's a very good sex education system. Actually, my okay. school was on a TV show called Sex Education. Oh really? Yeah, it was hosted by Anna Richardson. <laughs> Nice. Oh, I thought you were talking about serious Netflix. <laughs> no, 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 not that. It was like a Channel Four show. It was like a documentary show, and my school's on it. It was okay. very funny. It's good for you. You should put it in your CV. <laughs> uh, okay. Random. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was uh, going to ask about arranged marriages, but we yeah. sort of mentioned. We can that. talk about let's, it. A let's talk bit. about it a bit because I don't know yeah. the. So again, I said I didn't have much many uh, Muslim friends growing mm-hmm. up, and 
from talking to people like here yeah. in the UK, I think I learned that the arranged marriages is still is still a thing. Yeah. And uh, so, what's the difference between arranged marriages, and forced marriages, and like how does it work for male and female? I sort of yeah. know how, but do they have no choice as well, males? Um, so this is the thing: forced marriages and arranged marriages are two very different things, and people commonly like mix them up. I think just because of the way the media talks about it. Um, and mixes it up and again it takes when, whenever we talk about arranged marriages as forced marriages we take autonomy away from these people and we sort of m- make as if we're just sort of dolls and we just do whatever we're told and that's not the case so arranged marriages well I just noticed a little hole in your toe anyway <laughs> it's okay I'm breathing um, yeah so forced marriage is um, when uh, usually the parents or guardians or whoever of two separate parties have the conversation and they say right we're going to marry them off and then that's it right the people involved are never actually involved they don't get to decide they don't get to talk this is arranged one. this is a, no this is a forced For, one a forced one yeah see what I'm saying people mix them up yeah so that's the forced one there's no choice that's the point it's forced mm-hmm. an arranged marriage all that really means is that um, the people in your life know about the other person so like when you're finding this person it doesn't always have to be this way but like when you're finding this person usually it's through community or friends or family so that way it's just it just means it's like a fail safe it's like it's like you know their family background or you know their history kind of you either sort of know them or like your friends or family yeah so it's like it's like they're already they they get not just a random person the point is that they're pre-vetted so that means they're never gonna do you over and like you know, do all these weird things because that you already know what they're like because you already mm-hmm. spoke to their family. Their family's already said. Do you know what I mean? Like, but do you know the person itself? Um, sometimes. That's what I mean. It, it, arranged marriage can be different. Yeah, they can be different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> hold on. Let me make sense. So, forced marriage. I feel like you're getting confused. So like, I'm no, no, of... I understand. So, forced marriage, no choice. Yeah, you don't know the person. And yeah. arranged marriage is a. Uh, like some of your surroundings even yourself might not yeah. be able so their an family. arranged marriage literally means what it says in the title so it means it's being arranged mm-hmm. so usually that means I'll do like a, an example in a second but so yeah there's there's an element of like being pre-vetted by people around you but then again you get lots of choice so you can say no you can say yes you can say mm, whatever but it just means that there's usually a chaperone for some of those meetings Um, For the initial meetings, you know, there'll be more, there'll be a few people, and then as it gets closer to the wedding, maybe there's one chaperone kind of thing. Either way, it just means... What is a chaperone? A chaperone is just someone who's um, sitting in. Oh, okay. Like, someone who knows you um, and is just there for your best interests, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, Yeah, so, an example of how it would work. Say you're, I don't know, like, you're 23 years old, you're, you know, you're at uni, maybe you're finishing. I don't know how old you are when you finish school. Anyway, <laughs> you know, you're finishing school, whatever, and gone. You've said to your mum and dad, you know what, I think I'm ready. Can you find me a husband? And then they go, okay, cool. So they, what they do then is put feelers out. So they would, so you... They put what out? Feelers. So like, oh, how do like I Like uh, talking. Yeah, so they start networking and chatting to people and be like oh do you know someone who would fit like this or you know they put out um i don't know how to say feels or not say feels yeah yeah um, <laughs> I understand. um yeah so you would write up basically something that would be like a cv for your marriage for yourself so you'd yeah. write down about yourself and it would just be like or you know just like all the information about you so like who you are when you was born um your interests your hobbies do you write your like school. how tall you are yeah, you can. Yeah, literally. Is it like a do, Tinder? Community Tinder? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's well, like for your parents. It's like because yeah. you know the whole thing is sort of like a business deal, really. So it's like, but you want to make the most perfect logical match because the problem with unarranged marriages, the problem is that you're meeting someone and you're, you know, it's all it's all for lust and it's all for sexual attraction and stuff, which is great initially, but then you're like. We're not even compatible this whole time. So the the idea with an arranged marriage is you're looking for longevity and like, com- lifelong. Yeah, marriage. exactly. You're looking for a lifelong partnership that makes sense. So you know you're writing all these things down, 
things even like your family back home and where they're from and what kind of jobs they have and what your parents do and what you do and do you know what I mean it's and then all your expectations and then men will do the same and then they will send over you know what I mean like a salary expectations as well yeah literally yeah exactly yeah so if you're like that's good yeah do you know what I mean so like say if you're like from a working class background and you don't want to you don't want someone who's from a middle this is so random if you don't want someone from a middle class background write that down Mm -hmm. because it's like you want someone who's like compatible and sort of similar um but yeah you just sort of meet people and um the first round of vetting usually is like the parents going oh no he's the worst we we heard that he like batters his cousin on the i don't know (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i mean so like that's the first round of vetting and it's like once everyone else is vetted then you would look at the cv and if you if you just look at his picture and go ew ugly no, then that's it. You don't have to marry oh, him, nice. obviously. That's like, good. There's, it's like it's like going through like a dating show, but it's all your family sort of doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's how an arranged marriage is. Like typically, like from my culture anyway. But there are lots of other ways. Sometimes it's like um, you meet them at the mosque, and it's like you. Um, there are like matchmaking services where like at the mosque where it's like. Oh really. Oh, yeah, there's loads of different ways. It's 2023, you know? uh, <laughs> There's loads of different ways to meet people. No, I didn't people. know what that was in the mosque. Yeah, there's lots of different ways of, like, meeting people. Like, um, yeah, there are... I've heard of, like, um, matchmaking things where it's, like, they go and, like, you put your thing in and, like, they find you someone. But it's, like... The idea is, like, someone who's equally, like, on your pious level or your religious or... What I mean is, like... Do you know what I mean? Like, people... Yeah, yeah, I understand. That, that so you find... You, you, you find... You want to com- find the most compatible Someone person, who's compatible, yeah. someone... Yeah, exactly. But is... Sorry, I'm messing with my shit. Someone who's equally as compatible. Someone who's compatible mm-hmm. for you. So, is yeah. this, like, very common still? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I it's more like, like 50-50. Um, I feel like... Well, in the UK, anyway... I can't speak for anywhere outside yeah, just of the UK. Yeah, So, in the UK, that's the most common way in that community anyway because obviously I don't now I'm just living my best life but um, <laughs> um, yeah like that's sort of how it is that's for mm-hmm. most of the people I know but even then there's a lot of it depends like if you're what's the word if you um, consent to it mm-hmm. then it, it can work yeah um, but if you don't then it's not going to work and because I didn't want to just marry some guy that I just met Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it's like it's not consensual and that's where it becomes a problem and that's why when my dad's saying we're going to get you married have they offered this to you? Uh, yeah since what age? since what age? well it's like a thing where it's like it's, it's expected they don't have to say like oh, now is the time okay. but like you know so you sort of grow up and you like know that they're going to say this yeah. to you at some point but like obviously during the time where I was where they probably wanted to marry me off I'm like I was, like, fighting for my freedom. So, mm-hmm. so that wasn't yeah. okay, were you? Yeah. Okay, that's great. Uh, so, um, to I also wanted to mention and uh, bring, again, identity back to the conversation mm-hmm. and to uh, ask you, how do you think um, you, wherever you are now in your life, like, whether you found yourself or mm-hmm. you uh, journeying for your identity, how uh, this... Uh, art comes here. So Tamar is uh, an artist, she does music, she does photography, illustration, drawing, mm. she's just an amazing um, uh, phenomenal woman. Uh, so I wanted to ask you how your yeah. art photography singing is connected with your identity. Do you think you like trying to express yourself from that and mm. like even maybe your trauma or not or maybe just like something random and where you find your own peace, you know? Um, that's a really good question. I I'm a big believer in um, creative therapy. Um, there's a lot that I started doing um, purely just for like getting things out of me and to like work through things. So like I, you know, I wrote, the art therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote a lot of poetry a few years ago, um, and that like none of it's good. It's all quite bad. But it was like the idea of writing it down was like helping you. Just it helps get it, you. Just to work yeah. through it and get you know get it out of you. Um, yeah, I feel like, honestly, anything I make really is, like, um, it's a way to heal or it's a way to process or enjoy. But, you know, um, that comes out in different ways. And I, you know, um, I think when people sort of think of, like, therapy or, like, um, uh, expression, 
they sort of think, oh, all your art's got to be so sad and moody, and it's like, not really. Like, you know, I, you know, I run a. Your fashion... art is very fun. My art can be really fun. It can be really sad sometimes, but sometimes it can be really fun. Like, I run a fashion brand, and it's all sort of nineties Y2K childhood, like nostalgia stuff, and it's all super fun and cute. And, um, and I think for me, that whole thing is like, I'm sort of revisiting my childhood with like the things that kept that made me feel safe as a child and so like I would just watch TV and if I was watching TV the TV was the safe safe. yeah exactly and so like I you know I know all of my TV shows and whatever from when I was a kid really really well um maybe that's something else um but (laughs) but I you know like those are my safety spaces and so like now I'm sort of embracing them and even that's like healing you know sort of drawing silly little cartoon characters or whatever um but yeah sometimes it's like i think art doesn't need to be anything and it's funny because like i'll meet people all the time where they're like i can't draw i can't make i can't paint and it's like you can or you've got to do just do it it's art already you right know, there's this weird pressure of things having to have to be good that people forget like why why are you doing it in the first place so i think if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening and you want to make something, just do it. Just do it. I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I'm not good enough. And it's like, how do you think anyone that was good at anything? Yeah, there's a lot of fear of failure, right? It's fear like, of failure. Even me, like, I'm super stressed with the quality of this audio, but like, I yeah. find this conversation is so important. So yeah. I, even if it's a, like very, very bad quality, yeah. I'm still going to do it, you know? That's the thing. You've got to just yeah. be like, what's the absolute worst that can happen? And it's like yeah. usually that worst thing that can happen is like, uh, it just doesn't go well. Okay, grow up. It's fine. Get a grip. Do it again. Do you know what I mean? Just try it again. It's not that deep. Do you know what I mean? We, put so, on, much, yeah. we put so much pressure on ourselves. It's so yeah, intense. Angry. It's like literally like when I think about when I was writing poetry, it's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's cringy. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Great. Yeah. But now it's like years later and it's like now I write sort of music and stuff and like again it's still cringy, it's still not great. But like I think about the music I made literally even a year ago, two years ago, I'm like, that was so bad. But if I didn't make that really bad I stuff, wouldn't be here, I yeah. wouldn't be here making this better stuff, which is still <laughs> not great. But imagine me in a couple of more years, like I'll be like riffing on that guitar over there somehow. Of course you will. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. It's like, there's there's so much worrying of like, where am I now? Why am I not where I need to be now? It's like, shut up, man. We're children. We're babies. Yeah. Google Gaga, I'm a baby. <laughs> Do you think it's connected to us being females as well? I think it can Partly. do. Or I like, think, it's just multi, I think, multi-gender. Um, I think, um, yeah, I think a struggle with uh, expression and creativity and and worrying if your work is good enough is with everyone, mm-hmm. to be fair. But I think that, again, there's always more grace and acceptance for, let's be honest, white men most of the time. Like, they're the top of the... Top of my This, this it, it's so wild to me, because I think about, like, you know, people I've dated where, like, they're celebrated so much, but, like, I look back at what they've done, <laughs> it was, like, the bare minimum, and it was, like, not good work, but because they're men and they're, like... Oh, what do you think? You've just got... We're always, like, pandering to their egos. <laughs> There's so much pandering to egos and making sure that they feel okay and that ego's not hurt. Meanwhile, they don't give a shit about my ego. They're like, little brown girl, you're shit, you know? And I'm like... Okay. But I think because I'm, I've heard so much of, like, I'm not good enough, I can't do it, you're not made for this, blah, blah, blah. I've heard so much of it. I've even said it to myself a thousand times. Where it's like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Like, I've, I've got nothing to lose. Exactly. Nothing. Yeah, I love that. And I think, like, this is this is the way. Because, yeah. like, people wouldn't do anything if that wasn't do you know the what thing. I mean? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. I love that. So, we're going to finish here. But I sort of really have much more questions now for you. <laughs> Maybe we're just going to leave them for the offer record. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining me today, Tamana. It was a Aww. pleasure, and I really love this conversation. Thanks, Violetta, for having me. This has been so um, interesting. You know, I actually didn't realize that some of this stuff was as dark as it was. 
So I don't... Wait I, until you listen to it. Yeah, I don't really talk about a lot of this stuff. And when I do, I sort of talk about things in a very flippant and sort of throw No, you already created this what, No, I feel like this is what... Because I, I know this is what we're talking about. But I mean, like, in my day-to-day life. Oh, you mean, like, you talk, talk around Yeah, when people it. sort of talk... When people ask me... I think because I'm so used to all of these traumas in my life... Mm-hmm. People ask me, and I'll be like, "Yeah, I don't talk to this person," <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I, uh, so it's interesting, sort of talking about things a little bit more I think seriously. So. It's nice yeah. to be reflective about these things. I know we were going to finish it, but just a few more minutes. I agree with you totally because you know, like for myself, which things I would like to talk more about it is. Yeah. It might be a little bit sad and dark, but it's a death trauma yeah. and like mourning because in my family. My brother died when I was 11 and then my dad died a few years ago and this is like how first time I came to therapy because like I was rejected a lot and then like two years after my dad died I couldn't even go to hometown where he died because like I was not didn't want to think about it yeah and then like I learned that you have to at least accept it like you don't have to travel but then I traveled and then uh you don't you know we're all busy bills life adults some people have babies not yet. <laughs> so like, you know, you, yet. you know, life is busy. So like, yeah. you don't really get the chance and maybe time to talk about your traumas and yeah. like things like that. But they're still there. You know, like, yeah. you don't talk about them. It doesn't That's mean so they're not true. there. You don't even think because you're not thinking about it. Or yeah, on a it. daily basis, you, you don't, don't think even think about, about how it's affecting your normal day to day exactly workings and the way that you move around the world because you've not addressed it yet. Exactly. I yeah. completely understand because like. It's still there. Yeah. It doesn't like you don't talk about it for ten years. It doesn't yeah. mean it's not there. But you know, like so true. At the same time, I know that for some people it's easier to talk about it. For some people, it's less easy. Yeah. I know for some people it's like therapeutic to talk about it. For some, it's not, and it's okay. Like I yeah. think for me, it's very therapeutic, and I don't think I really have a lot of space and time in my life to talk about those things. Even though, like, I think I've done a lot of work on myself. Yeah. So like, yeah. So like, and talking. I feel that. Yeah, and talking today to you sort of made me feel like you know like I sort of resonated even though it was a different yeah, yeah, yeah. traumas <laughs> but still like sometimes they aren't spoken and you know even some traumas happen to you and you would never ever would want to talk about them and yeah. that's okay as well and yeah. like like yeah we all have different experiences and um, but even acknowledging I think it's 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 good it's, it can be good for you so that's why I'm so grateful for this conversation thank you everyone for listening and bye bye <laughs> Hey